We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Um, If you don't know me, my name is David. I'm an elder here at Refuge. And uh, we've been making our way through the book of James for a few weeks now. Uh, We've come to chapter 3. And and I'll just say kind of up front, chapter 3 is uh, not an easy passage, um, both in in the nature of the way in which uh, James says it, but also in the topic of what he's talking about, uh, taming the tongue. (laughs) We'll get into it this morning, but um, that seems almost oxymoronic, tame the tongue. We cannot do that. (laughs) So what do we do with a passage like this? We're going to explore that this morning. So James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, let me read it for us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, And set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for that word. We open our hearts now to receive it. Lord, would you in these next few moments press into our heart what you want to press in. The proper amount of conviction so that we turn to you. The proper amount of hope so that we rejoice in you. Lord, we're here and we're open to what you have to say to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so here's a problem that we all face. We talk. (laughs) And we talk a lot. And those of you who have small children, you don't even need me to prove that. Either they're talking or they're asking so many questions that you constantly have to talk. You answer everything, don't you? But let me try to prove it anyway. Just how much do we talk? Some research says that we talk about 700 times a day. 700 times a day. 
that's a ton. But even if you say, okay, well, that sounds way too much. I, I'm introverted. I don't talk that much. Okay, well, let's, let's just cut that down to 100. What else do you do 100 times a day? That's still a ton. Other research says we spend about one-fifth of our life talking. To put that in perspective, we spend about a third of our life sleeping. We say a lot. If we just wrote down all the words that you spoke out loud just today, it would probably be about a 50-page book. And that's just the things you said out loud. That doesn't include all the things that you're saying right now silently. We are constantly talking. No wonder, then, that the Word of God has something to say about our words. Our passage today isn't even the first time that James mentions the subject. Remember in in chapter 1, in verse 19, he exhorted us to be slow to speak. Then again in verse 26, he said, Our use of the tongue is one indicator of true religion. Then in chapter 2, he mentions it's our tongue that reveals our partiality and our tongue that proclaims our faith. And James isn't done yet talking about the tongue. He will continue to talk about that throughout the book. All this shows that God really cares about how we speak. The Bible tells us that God is a speaking God. Unlike idols, our God actually opens his mouth. One of the names of Jesus is literally the word of God. Hebrews says Jesus upholds the universe by his powerful word. God spoke the world into existence. He created us in his image using words. And part of that image in which he created us is the ability to communicate through speech. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that God would care deeply about how we use words in his world. Words have immense power, don't they? We can use words to create a culture of safety and trust and love, uh, to to, to nurture and to build a a radiant culture. Or we can use words to burn it all down. One of the greatest tragedies in the world is how we abuse our tongues. I mean, just think it through in the, in the biblical narrative. In the fall, Adam blamed Eve. Actually, he blamed God, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. The woman you gave me. The Psalms refer to those whose throat is an open grave, whose tongues deceive, and whose mouths are full of curses and bitterness. In Isaiah chapter 6, remember, he has this vision of the throne room of God. And there, before God's holiness, he pronounces woe upon himself for his unclean lips. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in Proverbs 12, 18, it says words are like sword thrusts. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, that we will give account for every careless word. If that doesn't strike our heart, I don't know what will. Our tongue, the Bible is saying, is one of the most important things about us. Do we consider it that way? I mean, we all know the saying, sticks and stones may 
break our bones, but words will never hurt me. Who made that up? I mean, how stupid is that? It's not true at all. No one stays in a hospital with a broken bone forever, but the couches of counselors are dented by those who come week after week seeking healing from words that were said, sometimes so long ago. Words can damage the soul. Or how about this saying? Maybe you know this one too. I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. (laughs) Again, that's dumb. That's just another lie. It's another lie we tell ourselves to downplay something that God is saying is massively important and true. Words matter. Words don't only stick to us. They they, they bury themselves deep in our hearts. Commentator Derek Kidner wrote, What is done to you is of little account besides what is done in you. Words go deep. They shape our lives. And sometimes it takes a lifetime to realize how truly powerful they really are. So our speaking God wants us to understand the proper use of the tongue that he gave us. And this passage is his gracious gift to us to help us build the kind of gospel culture he wants us to have here at Refuge. Where we take seriously the way that we speak to one another with with awareness that our words aren't just words. They matter. Deeply. So looking at this passage this morning, we're going to see three things that God wants us to understand about our tongues. First, that the tongue is powerful. Second, that the tongue is dangerous. And third, and I know this sounds like a downer, that the tongue is untamable. It's powerful, it's dangerous, and it's untamable. First, the tongue is powerful. You know, one way to think of the book of James just in its entirety is it's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, it's filled with wisdom. If we look at the book of James, I've already mentioned how often he speaks of our words. Well, the book of Proverbs is the same way. There are about 90 Proverbs about speech, which is more Proverbs than there are about money or sex or family or anything else. I mean, isn't that Does that say something to us about our words? Apparently to live wisely and well according to God requires that we learn a lot about the power of the tongue, more so than the power of any other bodily function or desire. When Paul said to glorify God in your bodies, James says that starts with your tongue. And it gets uncomfortable right from the start for me. I mean, in verse 1, James directs attention to those who teach. So here I am, standing in front of you to teach, and by reading this passage, I'm inviting judgment onto myself. Teachers must be careful with their words. Because they say more and talk to more people, it's vital they use thoughtful and intentional words with life and conviction and purpose. Because by nature, the position teachers just, they hold a lot of power to do a lot of good or a lot of bad. And while James is primarily talking about those who teach in the church, I think there's an application to us all. 
we're all teaching to some degree. I think of just parenting. I have four kids. There's not a, really a moment in the house I'm not teaching, is there? We must be careful. With our words, we can build up or we can tear down. We can announce forgiveness or bring condemnation. We can proclaim the gospel that saves or the law that kills. And God is listening. But you don't have to be a teacher to fall into sense of speech. James opens, uh, opens us all up in verse 2 saying, We all stumble with our tongue. No one is exempt, teacher or not. James says, If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So let me ask, do we have any perfect people in the room? Is there anyone who is so in control of their tongue that they have no regrets? They've caused no past wounds. They have no words that they wish they could take back. We all stumble, don't we? As one teacher put it, if you cannot go for 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go for 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you cannot go for 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you have lost control over your tongue. The problem with an uncontrolled tongue is the immense power that it holds. It has the ability to move our entire lives in one direction or another and the entire lives of others in one direction or another. And James uses some illustrations to help us get the point. The the, the tongue is really small but incredibly powerful, like a bit in a horse's mouth, which moves this huge animal wherever it wills. A rudder on a ship beats out the winds and the waves and just the immensity of of the ship itself. Like that, the tongue is incredibly small but incredibly powerful. It boasts of great things. One commentator refers to the tongue as the the master key of our bodies. (laughs) It determines everything else, moving us either positively or negatively. Our tongue takes us places. But of course, the tongue is only as good as the heart guiding it, isn't it? Just as the bit in the horse's mouth is only as good as the rider, and the the, the rudder on the ship is only as good as the pilot. In, In other words, when we talk about the tongue, what we're really talking about is the heart. James does this a lot. We've seen it. He points to outward actions as revelations of inward reality. Who we are is what we say. (laughs) It's kind of a scary thought. You know, we, we, we never truly speak out of character. We only review, reveal our true character in those moments. Our, Our words Show our cards. You know, we might not say all we really think. But what we say, we do really think. We can never truly say, I didn't mean it. We always mean it, don't we? And usually far more than what we actually say. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
that's enough to condemn us all. That's why, though the tongue is small, and maybe, maybe we're small too, the weakest among us can cause devastation. You know, in a way, we're all like Spider-Man, aren't we? With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Dustin loves to use Marvel comics. Why not? I'll throw one in there. So that's the first thing James wants us to understand, the power of the tongue. Next, he wants to see the danger of that power. You know, a friend once said that he heard about a woman in L.A. who took her own life. And the suicide note said only this. They said. Don't you feel the weight of that? They said. Isn't so much of our life determined by they said? And maybe even worse than that, haven't we all in some way contributed to the they said moments of others? No wonder, James says in verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. No wonder Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue can kill. And all it takes is just a spark. You know, one bit of gossip, one explosion of anger, one biting remark, one lie, one word. A small fire sets a forest ablaze. You know, our words don't even have to be intentionally murderous to, to, to kill. All it takes is just a little carelessness. You know, not too long ago, there was, I mean, this happens all the time, but this example in particular is, is astounding to me. Uh, wildfire raged through Southern California. It, it burned 22,000 acres. It ate up homes and businesses. You know how it started? from a smoke bomb used in a gender reveal party. <laughs> it's not a boy, it's not a girl, it's a forest fire. I mean, this huge thing, the party was held on September 5th, and the flames were finally extinguished on November 16th. Months of fire raging from this small little smoke bomb. A bit closer to home, maybe you remember the videos of the wildfire in Gatlinburg. I think it was maybe 2016, if my memory is right. No? 17, Sarah says, 17. In any case, I, I, just, I remember seeing these videos of people driving down the mountain with fire on both sides. It looked like, it looked like hell. Like, that's what I just imagined hell to be. It was the deadliest wildfire in the state in 100 years. How did that one start? Some kids were playing with matches on Chimney Top's trail. Got out of hand. The fire killed 14 people and destroyed 2,400 buildings. The point is, our words are like that. They can do that much damage. In fact, I would argue they can do far more. No wonder James says then the tongue is a fire, a, a world of unrighteousness. The, the, the tongue holds continents of bad things. John Calvin said the tongue is a slender portion of flesh that contains the whole world of iniquity. I, I was thinking about that this week, like how, how, how big that is. 
I thought of just the Ten Commandments. Let's just think through the Ten Commandments. How we break those with our tongues. We worship other gods. We praise idols. We take the Lord's name in vain. We profane the Sabbath. We verbally dishonor our mother and father. We murder through angry speech. We commit adultery through lustful words. We steal the truth by our lies. We complain about things that we, we don't have, but others do. That's the character of our tongue. A world of unrighteousness. And the tongue also has immense influence, not only communally, as we've seen, but personally as well. Look at verse 6. Staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. James said earlier that pure religion is unstained from the world. Remember that? But the tongue pollutes our body. It affects the whole of our life from beginning to end and everything in between. So not only is the tongue a fire that sets ablaze the force of others, it sets ablaze our own. I mean, how many times has our stupid mouth gotten us in trouble? Our tongues, they just reveal how truly weak our flesh is, don't they? But worse still... (laughs) There's something underneath that playing with our weakness of flesh. You know, maybe maybe we think like Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire. (laughs) But someone did. Who? James tells us at the end of verse 6, it is set on fire by hell. The word he uses for hell is Gehenna. And the only other time that word is used in the New Testament is by Jesus. When he's referring to the place of ultimate judgment and condemnation where Satan himself lives. Do you see what James is saying? He's saying that no less than Satan himself works with the evil of our tongues. He lit the fire. He's the father of lies. And he's just walking around with his torch of mischief, lighting our tongues on fire like wicks of a bomb, and just setting back and enjoying the explosions that take place. And in our sinfulness, we comply all too easily with him, don't we? The tongue houses this universe of potential evil greater than Darth Vader and his stormtroopers where planets of sin dance around the fires of hell and sparks of lies and gossip and all kinds of unrighteousness burn down people and houses and companies and countries and even churches. The tongue is a dangerous weapon. And we have to know, God wants us to know the power that each one of us has that can so easily be used for evil. And it just doesn't take much. Sticks and stones may break our bones, yes, but words pierce the soul. Words, no matter what we say, stick like glue. And unfortunately, the news doesn't get much better yet. Not only is the tongue powerful and dangerous, but it's also untamable. 
Think back to the illustrations that James used of a horse in a bit. A horse is, is this wild and majestic creature. It's big. I mean, we forget how big horses are until you're next to one. You're like, this is a huge animal. But you put a bit in its mouth and it's, it'll go where you want it to go. In fact, James says in verse 7 that every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed. I mean, just think through it. Uh, Siegfried and Roy, they tamed tigers. Well, I mean, kind of, right? Didn't one of them kind of turn on them? But you get the point. Eagles are, are trained to fly into stadiums on command during a national anthem. Snake charmers tame these aggressive, venomous snakes. I mean, I... I've been to SeaWorld. Have you? <laughs> Do you see what they can do with dolphins, with seals? It's amazing. I mean, I heard the other day, I'm a huge baseball fan, if you know me at all, basically my news is baseball. I just need to know what's going on in baseball. The New York uh, Mets new manager, Buck Showalter, said the other day that they, one team he had, he was managing, brought in monkeys from the zoo to throw batting practice once. <laughs> monkeys throwing batting practice. I mean, we can tame anything can't we? Mankind can tame any kind of animal. That's what James says. But in verse 8, James says there's one thing that no human being can tame. Our tongue. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, how can that possibly be? Didn't our mama raise us right? I mean, we've got manners, But we can't get out from under the gaze of Scripture, can we? God knows us better than we know ourselves. We cannot tame the tongue. We can cage it. We can maybe even defang it. We can teach it some tricks. But we can't get the wildness out. We can't get the venom out. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison, James says. Bible translator J.B. Phillips shows the word restless there in verse 8 means always liable to break loose. It's just there. Now imagine the box. You know there's an animal inside. It's just The box is just bouncing. Can't wait to get out. That's our tongue. That's the image that James is painting for us. It's in there just biding its time until all hell breaks loose. One bad look from someone. One piece of gossip that we just cannot keep in. One tirade played out in a bit of weary frustration. One thoughtless word just slipping through the filter. A single word and the fire rages. The, the, the lion is loose and he's hungry. The snake slithers into the garden with a lie. It's a restless evil. What we can do with, with wild beasts, we cannot do with the little bitty tongue in our own mouths. We can't tame it. Now there's a further problem. The same tongue with which we bless our Lord and Father, we can also use to curse those made in his image. James says in verse 10, these things ought not to be so. This, he is saying, is hypocrisy. 
you know, those who, who, who come on Sunday to sing praise to God and then go out to lunch and share the latest gossip. Those who say their morning prayers and then go into their work with an agenda to get ahead by putting others down. Those who have their quiet time with the Lord and then hop on social media to like the posts from the guys on their side. Blessing and cursing all with the same tongue. These things ought not to be so. And James, you know, he's just asking, how can this be? Look at the natural world. Can two different things come from the same source? Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, a spring can't produce both fresh water and salt water. A fig tree only produces figs. An olive tree only produces olives. A grapevine only produces grapes. James is, is taking us back to one of the themes of his. He, he talks a lot about being double-minded. You know, in this case, maybe we ought to think of, you know, fork-tongued. Going in two different directions. But the spiritual person is single-minded. They do not bless God and curse his image bearers at the same time. It should not be possible to bless God and curse his image bearers with the same tongue. That's an anti-Christian thing. That's what James is saying. It's an evil thing. As it praises God, it curses him for his people. How can that be? And then, that's all James says here. <laughs> He leaves us hanging with that. I mean, there's no follow-up with now. Here are seven ways to tame the tongue. It's just the tension of needing to tame the tongue and the inability to do so, and that, okay, well, now what? What do we do? We're stuck with this great need to tame the tongue because it's our duty to do so as followers of Jesus. But at the same time, James says it's impossible for us to tame it. We must tame it, but we can't. What is this? What is this riddle that he's, he's telling us, he's asking us here? So to conclude, what do we do with this? How do we resolve the tension? Well, look again at verse 8. There's a key here. James says, no human being can tame the tongue. But he doesn't say, no one can. Just no human being. You can't tame your tongue. But there is one who made it who can. You know, so I, I guess we could say that my third point from a certain perspective is just wrong, isn't it? <laughs> the tongue isn't untamable, not ultimately. It's just untamable by us. We can't tame the tongue, but Jesus can. James is he's just, you see what he's doing? He's just like pushing us down to the lowest possible level. So we have nowhere else to go but up. He wants us to understand the weakness of the flesh so that we will look beyond ourselves. 
I mean, think of what Jesus said in John 6, 63, one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture to me. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. <laughs> he didn't say the flesh is some help. He said the flesh is no help at all. Not even a little bit. We cannot rely on ourselves. If we need living water, we need Jesus to provide it. If we need pure fruit, we need Jesus to grow it. If we need control of our tongue, which we do, we need Jesus to tame it. He's our only hope because he's the only, he's the only one who can do what we cannot do. You know, when we talk about taming the tongue, what we're talking about is taming the heart, taming the sin raging inside of us. And the only one who can change the heart is the one who made it. We can't help for, or hope for self-improvement. We can't act our way out of this. But with the same tongue that we misuse, we can use to repent. We can turn to Jesus with the empty hands of faith and trust him for help. Why can we trust him? Because on the cross, Jesus did more than just die a painful death. Lots of people died on the cross. The mere fact that another man named Jesus died on the cross is not unique. What is unique is that he died as the only innocent man who ever lived. The only one who truly did tame his tongue. He died as a guilty man for sin he never committed. Jesus never said a wrong word to anyone. He said some words people didn't like, but not a wrong one. He was the only human to ever tame his tongue. But on the cross, he took upon himself all of our wrong words as if they were his wrong words. He put himself in our place under the wrath of God for every evil thing we've ever said. And God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. Because of the cross of Christ, God does not look down upon us now and think, you failures. You just can't shut up, can you? You just can't seem to figure out how to tame that little bitty tongue in your mouth. Well, this is the last you'll hear from me then. No. Because of the cross, God does not cut us out of his conversation. He still talks to us because on the cross, he stopped talking to his son. We, all of us in our lives, have said some bad and wrong things, but Jesus spoke a better word by his blood. He took our words and he gave back his father's. Our words condemn, don't they? But his word proclaims, there is therefore now no 
condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and I don't know if you realize that that's an ever-present reality. There is therefore now, that's today. That was back then when you first believed. That's tomorrow when you wake up. That's 20 years from now where you look back on your life and think, I thought it'd be better by now. Now. (laughs) No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus covered the cost of every wrong word we've ever said or ever will say. Every bit of gossip, every put down, every curse, every lie, every complaint, every angry word, every sinful thing we've ever uttered out of the darkness of our fallen heart stuck to Jesus like glue on the cross. And he died for those sins. Our sins. But as we sang this morning, Jesus didn't stay dead. The word of God rose again and conquered Satan's torch that sets our tongues on fire. And we have a new speechwriter now. We have fire from heaven. And all he's asking us to do is just give ourselves over to him, to turn to him in repentance and faith, to let him renew us deep within. And you know, if... if, if we'll just keep listening to the word of God and his gospel, he promises to keep renewing our hearts. And his word will go deeper and deeper in us. And like a spring of living water bursting forth, our our powerful tongue that was once so dangerous to this world can be used by God's grace to bring life instead of death. To bring hope instead of despair. Even to bring the beauty of heaven into a world that's dying and broken and hopeless. Jesus can change our hearts and tame our tongues. And all we got to do is ask. We can ask him to not let anything come out of our mouth that isn't of him. We can ask him that as we drive to work tomorrow morning or as we pick the kids up from school tomorrow afternoon or as we come to church next week. Just as we go about our days, we can give ourselves fully to Jesus and let his words be ours. And if we do that, simple, and I'm not, I'm not saying easy. It's not easy. But it's simple. That simple and humble thing. Just imagine what he might do. Among us here. In our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in this city. Jesus can use us to bring shalom into this broken and tired and hurting world. And the only question I have for you is, will you let him?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. It's exposing. Your word is doing what you said it will do. It's it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts us deep. Down to the bone, to the marrow. But Lord, you never leave us wounded. You always renew. You always raise our dead bodies to new life. And so, Lord, I pray that for us now. Perhaps we feel the the, the weight of the words that we've said. Forgive us. Cleanse our lips, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.